uh, take a moment, just a moment, if you don't mind, and feel sorry for me. How would you like to talk about church hurt at church, at the church you lead as a pastor who's had church hurt? Like you should feel just a little bit sorry for me because even in just this room alone, there is so much real pain from the church. Some of us have a lingering pain from, from being wrongfully rejected or gossiped about that one night at group that you missed or shamed into legalism. There are stories of abuse in this room. Some of us have had leaders who have failed us. Some of us have church hurt because we listened to a podcast or watched a documentary about another group of people who the church hurt and now we have church hurt. For real though, I'm starting to think, is church hurt, is this stuff digitally contagious? I really think it might be digitally contagious. And if that's true, then we have a problem, you and me, because as far as the church goes, historically and recently, there's a lot to be mad about. And the human condition is to all bond over what makes us angry. I'm mad, are you mad? Are we mad together? I think we are. What are we mad at? The church, why? Because the church hurts people, true. I love Christians, man. I is one of us. And the, some of the stuff we say. Yeah, the church hurts people. That's why I don't give. Oh, really? That's why? Yeah. You sure it's not because deep in your heart you love money and don't fully trust God with your finances? Pfft. Whatever, dude. The church hurts people. True. It does. So what do you do then when the church hurts you? I later, I, earlier this week, I Googled um, what to do when just a window into your pastor's interest because the first three things that popped up on Google, what to do when a shark attacks you, what to do when your parachute fails to open, and what to do when you get charged at by a bear. And then I got sidetracked. And so God forbid you ever need this information, but just in case, the next few minutes might be a good time to take notes. If you ever get attacked by a shark, step one, maintain eye contact with the shark. Step two, punch the shark in either the nose, the eyes, or the gills. So apparently you just punch a shark, and the shark will go, okay, dude, my bad. And then step three, true story, the internet says, get out of the water, just in case you thought you were supposed to stay in the water. Don't get out of the water. That's just what the shark will be expecting you to do. I'm preaching from experience. I've been surfing when the lifeguards sounded the shark alarm because they spotted a great white. And I can tell you from experience, your natural gut reaction will be to cry and then swim as fast as you can. You will do that, I promise you. If you're ever skydiving and your parachute fails to open, step number one, slow your free fall by making an X with your body. And then step two, use a technique called tracking to find a swamp or some trees to break your fall and then step three, land feet first and cover your head. And I appreciate that, and I mean no disrespect, but I disagree with all of it. I think there's one step, and it's receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. And if there is a step two, it's land however you want. For it was Jesus who said, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. And finally, what to do if a bear charges you? Another true story, I've been charged at by a bear. I'm not kidding. I've done a lot of risky and arguably stupid things in my life, but that's also what got me to play in a church, okay? So praise God. I was night hiking in the mountains in Boulder. I saw a bear, and I just thought it was cool, so I tried to get close to it. Step one, don't do that. If you ever see a bear in the wild, 
Common sense is gonna tell you to sneak up on it. You're gonna have to fight that urge with everything in you, okay? I just wanted to get close to it. I'm trying to get closer to this fully grown black bear that's about from, from me to that pole, about 30 feet, when all of a sudden the bear just drops on a dime and starts charging me. I'm not kidding. And I have never ran that fast in my entire life. I probably could have gotten like a four second 40. I'm serious, like at the combine, they should have bears chasing the players. The times would be much better. It's fantastic motivation to run fast. But I'm like pleading with God, God, I'm so sorry. Like this is gonna hurt so bad. You have to get me out of this. I just thought the bear was cool. If you get me out of this, I'll never cuss again. I will mentor that Ethan guy for the rest of my life. I promise you, just get me out of this. And God heard the prayer. The bear was, as it turns out, just trying to scare me, mission accomplished. The bear charged about 10 feet and then stopped, looked at me and gave like a little growl and then walked away. And uh, that's when I received Jesus into my heart. Um, been mentoring Ethan ever since. I haven't cussed since then. It's not true. Um, but what they say to do is remain calm to show the bear you're not a threat. Now, I'm sorry, but show me the person alive on this planet, alive on this planet, who can do that, who can remain calm, like it's a Care Bear. Does someone need a hug? Look at you charging me, all snuggly and cuddly. Get in here, nobody appreciates you, do they, bear? <laughs> no, I promise you, Emily Franklin, our worship leader, believes that she could befriend the bear. Not a chance, okay? So thanks to the internet, there's now a lot of manuals, step-by-step -step manuals for what to do in most situations, but what do you do when it's the church that hurts you? Paul was hurt by the church. Let's read it again, Acts 9, verse 26. When Saul, being Paul, arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Paul just got rejected by the church because of his former life. So let's just start at square one in case this is the first time you've ever heard this or you just need the reminder. Your past does not disqualify you from the grace of God or, or the church, all right? Ladies at GBB, you have to hear me say this to you. If you know Jesus, then yes, there are still consequences for former decisions and actions, but make no mistake about it, if you know Jesus, his mercies are new every morning, every breath is a second chance, and you stand in front of God today, and eternally speaking, spiritually speaking, you will stand in front of God one day, and God will look at you and not see the former life. A former life is exactly what it sounds like, a former life. He will look at you and he will see his son, Jesus. Jesus is spotless, undefeated, perfect record. That is now yours. The amazing grace of Jesus is really that good. Do not let a soul ever convince you otherwise. Do not let anybody tell you any otherwise. <laughs> Pastor Tim Keller passed away two days ago. And arguably, he will be our generation C.S. Lewis. I highly recommend you buy his books and read them. Just a legend, a beast of a follower of Jesus and leader. Lived by faith, died by faith, and finished his race well. And maybe one of his most famous quotes, the gospel is simply this, you are far more flawed and sinful than maybe you ever dared imagine. And 
at the same time, you are far more loved and forgiven than maybe you ever dared hope. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Because if I'm Paul, in this moment of sort of rejection by the church, I'm thinking, excuse me? Like, I know I have a bit of a past, but that was three years ago. I've been building the church. I've been preaching boldly about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've been enduring death threats. I've gotten nonstop persecution from the world. And you know what? I was expecting that from the world. Was I, what I wasn't expecting was this much friendly fire from the church. You call this loving your neighbor? You guys, church hurt is not a new phenomenon. For as long as people have been sinful, it has always been. And until Jesus comes back one day, it will always be. That's why the first thing you need to do when the church hurts you is this. Remember reality. The church is not God. The church is imperfect people. So let me reiterate and clarify what the church is not. The church is not God. Let me declare what the church is. It's imperfect people doing their best to be like him. And you need to remind yourself often of that reality because your emotions aren't necessarily wrong, but emotions are the great deceivers because emotions magnify, do they not? Fear will get you to believe the literal sky is falling down, but of course it's not. Panic attacks and anxiety will get you to honestly believe the walls are literally closing in around me, but reality, of course, says they're not. Anger will get you to believe the worst thing about that person that they're not. That's why you need to keep perspective and remember reality. The church is not God. It's imperfect people. Because would you believe Paul and Barnabas get hurt by the church again just a few chapters later in Acts 13? We read it in 49 and 50. So the Lord's message spread throughout that region, and then the Jews stirred up some influential religious women. These are the prayer warriors in the church and the leaders of the church, the prominent men who, or the leaders of the city, the prominent men who led the church. And they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So what just happened? Good church people got misled, and because of that, they misrepresented God. Happens all the time. So what do Paul and Barnabas do? Verses 51 and 52. So they shook the dust off their feet. They got their T-Swift on. They shook it off as a warning to them and went to Iconium, by the way, to continue building the church. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I'm sure they felt it deeply, but they shook it off, they kept perspective, they remembered reality, and what did it lead to? Joy. I once heard a pastor named Craig Rochelle in an interview, he said, when, when Christians, metaphorically speaking, throw stones at me, privately and publicly, I have to remind myself and tell myself, the church didn't let me down, a person did. It's a huge, very important distinction that seems obvious, but it gets clouded when you're feeling emotions. The church did not betray me. A small group of people betrayed me. Remember reality. Last week to celebrate Baptism Sunday, we took our staff uh, to go see Guardians of the Galaxy 3. 
at one of those movie theaters where you get to order lunch and they bring you lunch while you watch the movie, great invention. It's an awesome idea. Shout out to whoever that was who came up with it. Um, and I was so excited. And uh, I was the last one in the row. And the waiter took all of our orders. I got a buffalo chicken salad and a soda water with lime because I'm healthy. All right. And uh, the movie starts and everybody's meals come out except mine. And I'm a, a man of God. And so I'm thinking, no big deal. Like, they just forgot. No big deal. So I hit the, the little call button, and the waiter, um, the waiter comes up to me, and I say, hey, man, I think you guys, like, maybe forgot my lunch, and maybe there was a mistake. He goes, oh, my gosh, sir, I'm so sorry. What did you have? I said, a buffalo chicken salad and a soda water with lime. He said, I'll be right back with your buffalo chicken salad and your soda water with lime. I'm so sorry. I'll be right back. So he leaves, and nobody ever comes back. And it ruined the movie for me. <laughs> All right? I was so hangry. Between you and me, I had fasted breakfast because I'm super spiritual, but it's not about me. It's about God, okay? So focus on the point. But apparently fasting breakfast didn't make me more holy because I was so, like, it ruined this movie I was looking forward to because all I could think about was my buffalo chicken salad and my soda water with lime that was nowhere to be seen. And I will never go to the movies or go eat lunch again for the rest of my life, ever. I'm done. That really happened, but of course, I'll go to the movies again. And of course, I'll eat lunch again. I've done both of those things since, Okay. Now, I might go to a different theater, but I'm not going to let one bad experience rob me from the movies I love or the food that I need. And the same thing should be true about church. You got food poisoning at that restaurant, you're going to go to a different restaurant again and get more food because you need food. And in the same way, you need Jesus and you need a community to follow Jesus with. Paul and Barnabas had a few bad church experiences, but they decided not to let the sins of a few people keep them from the goodness of their God. That is a decision, not a feeling. Because I can put all church people into just three categories, myself included, easily. Number one, you've got people who maybe claim to be Christians or even think they're Christians but actually aren't because it's not going to church that makes you a Christian. It's not even believing in God that makes you a Christian. It's following Jesus. And then you've got a, a large group of Jesus followers, but they're just new to, to faith and haven't, haven't realized yet that the world is watching their lives more than they think. And God did not save them so they could stay the same. And there's probably some stuff about their lives and about the way we, we talk, the way we post, the way we date, the way we conduct ourselves that needs to change to better represent the one we claim to follow. And then group number three, some of us have been following Jesus for a while, trying really, really hard to rep him well and still get it wrong all the time. And that's it. Remember reality. The church is not Jesus. The church is imperfect people trying our best to be like him. Our faith is in Jesus, not in a church, not in its leaders, like Paul and Barnabas, we need to decide on repeat not to let the sins of people keep us from the goodness of our God. Because you wanna know what every human being ever has in common, all of us, the great leveler, the great equalizer is sin. 
It's not your identity, but it is your infection and it's mine too. We all got it, which means to some extent, every person has hypocrisy in their heart. There's not a soul who has ever lived who has perfectly lived out what they say and believe every single day. So every single one of us, to some extent, has a a level of hypocrisy in our hearts. That's why I say, if you ever find a perfect church, don't go there, because you'll ruin it. When people say to me, oh, the church, just a bunch of hypocrites, I go, we got room for one more if you wanna come. It's the great leveler, man. Remember reality. It's one of the reasons me, Ryan, and Ethan lead this place as a team is to proactively diffuse and disperse the natural human tendency of elevating a leader to the place in your heart where only Jesus should be. I'm just a person. This mortal man will fail you if I haven't yet. You will disagree with me if you haven't yet. You don't have to agree with everything we say to belong here. You're allowed to be in process at this church. And if this church has hurt you in some way, shape or form, I am so sorry. That's not our intention. That group leader said that thing. That's not an accurate representation of the heart of God or the heart of this church. And I wish I could control everything that every Red Rock rapper says, I can't. Every car that has a Red Rocks bumper sticker on the back, wish I could control the road rage, I can't. This is God's idea, that's why we, we sing about his reckless love. He says, all authority in heaven and earth is mine and I'm giving it to you to go build the church even though he knows how often we'll get it wrong. And he still does. This is our God. Remember reality, and if this place has hurt you or ever hurt you, take space, but stay close. You are allowed to disengage for a season. You are not allowed to disappear forever because you need Jesus and you need the church and the church needs you. Remember reality, the church isn't God, it's imperfect people, amen? Next, when the church hurts you, and you're gonna feel like fighting me a little bit more progressively as we go on with these points, okay? Don't stay bitter, make the church better. Look at the fifth word of the first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. So the very first thing we learn about God, other than he was there in the beginning and started the beginning, is that he's creative. So you and me are made in the image of a creative God, made to create, made in the image of a God who sat in front of a formless void of nothing, saw what could be, and then made it. And you're made in his image. It's so easy right now to to critique the church. It's a very popular thing to do. And you got endless material right now, man, if that's what you wanna do with your life. It's so easy to to say you're healing, but really you're ruminating. You have everybody else, including you convinced you're healing, but really you're ruminating. It's pretty trendy in 2023 to, to sort of be like a news reporter of everything that's wrong with Christian culture and do deep dive evaluations of the mistakes of previous generations. Gets a lot of clicks, sells a lot of books, 
and hear my heart, to some extent, it's necessary. And to some extent, it's useful. But while critiquing is crucial, it's not a calling. Creating is. We are partnering with God to make the church better. The best worship songs are waiting to be written. The best ways of doing church, waiting to be discovered and thought of. Oh, evaluation is a very, very helpful tool, but that's just it, it's a tool. It's not the end game. It's a means to an end of building. I don't wanna stay bitter. I wanna make the church better. And here my heart is somebody who leads a church, right? The church has got to do better. Some of the abuse, the mistakes, the power trips, the wielding truth as a weapon, the choosing being right over being Jesus, oh, it's a thing. That person who quoted Jesus to you without the tone of Jesus's heart, and therefore they got it wrong. I mean, it's heartbreaking. There's no excuse for it. I lose sleep over it. I'm being so honest. I have low-grade anxiety every time I get on Instagram. I'm just waiting for the next pastor scandal. I'm like low-grade terrified that I'm, I'm gonna hurt you somehow. Because I'll say something, and I'll mean it this way, but because of my tone or the way that you, you showed up in the ears that you were hearing it through, you heard it this way, and then five years from now, you're in counseling and I'm the villain in your story because there's just, there's authority from this platform because it's in the name of Jesus, and that, that terrifies me. I pray, even right before I came up here just now, I pray, God, if I say something and you want it to fall to the ground before it reaches ears, would you make it fall to the ground in Jesus' name? I just, I'm just a person. And if this church has hurt you, if a church has hurt you, I'm so sorry. But you also need to know there is a very real enemy of your soul that is not the church or a person, but the devil, who right now has a very real diabolical agenda of getting you to walk away, of getting you to deconstruct all your faith out of a quiet bitterness and a deep sadness with no end game of reconstructing it with Jesus to get you stuck in the cul-de-sac of critique. It's a cul-de-sac, it's not a street. Just driving around and around and around. You know, both criticism and creativity can see what is. Only creativity sees what could be and then goes and makes it happen. That's in you, that's in your divine blood made in the image of a creative God. That's why even the goal of a sermon on church hurt is not to bash, but to build, to release resentment because it's time to restore. We got too much life to live. We got a church to build. And it's time to be what you want to see. What do you wanna see in the church? It's time to be that. And you take it personally, building the church and being the church can't find the group you want, become a leader and start the group you want. It's time to be what we want to see. Here's a verse that has been, I mean, this has been getting me for about a year. 
and I'm serious. This is 1 Corinthians 4.15. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What does that mean? For though you have countless guides in Christ, what does that mean? Let me see if I can like drag that into 2023 context. For though we have endless content and a plethora of influencers and podcasters and preachers, and that's great. Though we have a myriad of voices and coaches and critics, great. What we don't have are many of those with the spirit of a father and the spirit of a mother in faith. And this is a young church, so lean in right here. That has nothing to do with age and everything to do with your spirit and your willingness to carry a burden. I'll, I'll explain it this way. I remember a few years back when a big name pastor um, who I love, still love, still pray for daily, has spoken a lot of life into mine, had a very public failure and fall. Hurt a lot of people, myself included. And I remember a few nights later, I was in the car with Ryan and I was just, I was hurt and I was venting to him. And um, I said, hey dude, if one more person, if one more well-meaning Christian tells me maybe my faith was in a person and not in Jesus, I'm gonna punch a hole in a wall. My faith can be in Jesus and I can still be bummed about this. Not sure who this is for, permission to grieve, permission to mourn, it's hard. But I said, and it just, sort of, it just sort of came out of me. And as soon as I said it, I was like, yes, that is like at the deepest part of me, that is honestly how I'm feeling. I said, I just feel like I'm running out of men I wanna be like. And that was dramatic. <laughs> Remember reality, I have in my life, men of God, I want to be like. My dad, Ethan's dad, Ryan, Ethan, Sean Johnson, Tim Keller, a few men in this room. But I said, it's just by and large on a public scale, I feel like in, in, in the world publicly, in entertainment, in sports, and definitely in politics, year after year, that number shrinks. I'm running out of men I want to be like. And I found this verse, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. And God spoke to me, what if I'm calling you to start becoming that kind of man? And not in a stage and not because of a status or success, but what if I'm calling you to become that kind of man in the way you follow Jesus, in the way you, you worship and you still praise him even in seasons where you're in pain because the world is watching in the way that you lead your kids, in the way that you'll make hard decisions nobody else wants to make, even if you have to take it on the chin, in, a way, in, a, in the way you talk about your wife when she's not in the room, 
in the way you give in a sacrificial kind of way that costs you something, in the way that you pray for your friends when you say you're going to, in the way that you stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. What if I'm calling you to become that kind of man? Because as our church continues to grow with more and more people who are new to following Jesus, so does our need grow for those with the spirit of a father and the spirit of a mother who will willingly lay down their freedom and their rights, much like Jesus did, and allow themselves willingly to be held to a higher level of of living and accountability because they understand a watching world is watching Christians because it needs some inspiration from Christians right now. That my kids, Will and Kinsley, their generation is going to be in desperate need of some inspiration from followers of Jesus. And so I go, oh, where are the Christians who, who will rise to the occasion and be that? Where are the followers of Jesus who would rather have integrity than influence? Where are the followers of Jesus who say, give me purpose. I'll even take the slow process more than I want an instant platform. Where are the followers of Jesus who are actually unreasonably serious about getting the secret sin out of their lives that nobody else knows about but you and God? Where are the followers of Jesus committed to shrinking the gap between who you are privately and who you are publicly? The followers of Jesus who will never ask a soul to follow you because you don't have to. Because the way you live is magnetic enough. Where are the followers of Jesus who will, live, who will rise to an occasion and live in such a way that preaches, hey, I'm not perfect and I ain't never gonna be perfect, but I'm also not pretending. And even in the way that I confess and repent after I mess up, you can model your life after me as I follow Jesus. Those with the spirit of a father in faith, those with the spirit of a mother in faith. I don't wanna stay bitter I want to get better. And being the church, I take it personally. Because as soon as you decide to go from critiquing from the grandstands to creating on the field, as soon as you become part of the solution, you get blamed for all the problems. It's just good to think about before you get your pads on and get on the field but there's something in you, the spirit of the living God within you that is ready and willing and eager to rise to the occasion. I don't wanna stay bitter, I wanna make the church better. And then finally, and if you haven't wanted to punch me yet, you will here. Um, When the church hurts you, don't rehearse it, don't revenge it, release it. Romans 12, 17 and 18 and then 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. By the way, this is Paul, the same guy with Barnabas who got hurt by a few churches and that was the tip of the iceberg for the persecution, for the hate. Paul went on to, I mean, how many times he was thrown in prison and beaten and then eventually martyred. So that guy wrote this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, I love this phrase, as far as it depends on you. So let's not talk about them. Let's talk about you. Live at peace with everyone. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Reminds me of when Jesus said, love your enemies. I sort of stand back and I go, when are we gonna be enemy lovers? 
in the church? When is that just no longer a verse that sometimes gets said and something we do? Because Paul and Barnabas, they had every reason to, but they didn't rehearse it. You know how you watch like one episode over and over again till you know that episode by heart and can quote every line? That thing that happened to you, like rehearse it over and over. They didn't rehearse it. They didn't revenge it. They shook it and released it. That is not easy. That takes courage, a broken humility. That takes probably counseling, prayer, more counseling, probably some real honest talks with a few close friends who you really let in, and then more courage, and then probably some more counseling after that. Like that is... Forgiveness is like a beautiful word until you have to do it. But you sum up all the scriptures in one word, it's not love, it's forgiveness. Because forgiveness is what love does. I, uh, I got kicked out of church when I was a junior in high school. And now I'm a pastor, which is one of my favorite things to say. And I was that punk 16-year-old kid who listened to a lot of Blink-182, all right? But I was the kid who needed youth group. And um, I got caught in the middle of a lot of shrapnel from a church split and leaders with bad motives. And it was, it was pretty brutal. And I'm trying to give as few details as possible because this isn't gossip, but it is an important part of my story because I lead a church today, not as somebody who's never been hurt by one. One night at youth group, I was very verbally abused. Later came out, there was like multiple cases of sexual assault and prison sentences and it was just bad. And for five years, I thought, if this is who God is, then forget this. And I ran from the church as fast and as far as you can run. Spent two years wanting payback Spent two decades rehearsing it until 2019, the year we planted this church, it resurfaced in my heart again. I was like, God brought it up and said, that's still there. Oh, look what's still there deep down. It was almost like an invitation from him. It's the difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction pulls you forward because it wants more for you. It's like God said, what happened to you was on them, bud, big time. What you choose to do with it now is on you. As hard as that pill is to swallow, it leads to freedom. Because God's got, and that's not to minimize what you've been through, it's to maximize the calling of God on you. Your calling is too great for you to not walk in the fullness of it because of wounds that won't become scars because of a lack of forgiveness. Release it. See, there's a man in uh, John chapter five who is who lays paralyzed next to a pool for 38 years. Imagine that, 38 years. Until one afternoon, Jesus shows up on the scene and sees this man and has the audacity and the nerve to ask this guy, do you want to be healed? Which on the surface level sounds sweet and like, oh, Jesus, that's so nice. Until you start thinking about it and you get beneath the surface a little bit, you go, excuse me? Like they say there's no such thing as a dumb question. 
I go, congrats, Jesus, another miracle. You just pulled it off. The world's first dumb question. Do you wanna heal? Are you serious? What is the obvious no-brainer answer to the question when somebody says, do you want to heal? You go, yes, earth to Jesus, of course I do. Hey, when it comes to your church hurts, do you want to heal? Yes. However, do you? I actually don't know if the answer to that question is as obvious as we think. Because Jesus did not ask, do you want your situation to change? He said, do you want you to change? Jesus did not say, hey, you want me to get him? I'm really good at justice. I'll get you front row seats, I'll get him and then you'll probably be good. He says, do you wanna release this? Do you wanna release your right for payback? Your right to blame? That you earned that right, by the way. You paid for it in a lot of pain that they decided you should feel. Do you wanna heal? Excuse me? Like, do you know how wronged I was? You got the nerve to ask me that question? Do you know what I, let me tell you the story, Jesus, about that abuse, how different I've been for the last decade of my life. You know what she said to me? You know what he did to me? You know the pain that I felt? You wanna know about the tears that I've cried? And all of that is 100% true. Just like everything this man probably said to Jesus is completely true. Excuse me, Jesus? Do I, wanna, do I wanna be healed? I've been here for 38 years dealing with the hand you dealt me, by the way. You got 12 friends with you. I've had nobody with me to help me. Do I want to heal? And everything he said was true. Just like all of your reasons are true. And can I just validate them for you and for me? This is not a preacher's trick. I'm agreeing with you. It's not you. It was them. It did suck. It was wrong. It did hurt more than anybody could probably know, even if you tried to explain it to them. It was wrong and it was terrible. And it's for that reason that I actually don't know that you really want to heal because your reasons not to are too good. And you earn that right to blame because to heal, you have to forgive. There's a reason Jesus asks before he does it. If you really believe freedom was better than bitterness, you would have traded bitterness for freedom by now. Remember that movie, The Prince of Egypt, the cartoon movie about Moses where Val Kilmer is the voice of Moses and the Israelites walk out of Egypt through the Red Sea that God parted to Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston singing, there can be miracles when you believe and they get through the Red Sea and then the credits roll because that's when it gets bad. It's a kid's movie. But in scripture, they walk through the Red Sea and then begins a 40 year journey of wandering in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. Geographically speaking, it was a 12 days walk. It took 40 years. Took 10 plagues for God to get Pharaoh to let his people go. Took 40 years for God to get his people to let Pharaoh go. To get you out of Egypt, just some frogs, a gnat plague, some darkness, a river into blood, child's play for God. But to get Egypt out of you, to get Egypt out of me. See, I don't think it should have been a 12 day journey. 
because there was a lot of wrestling with God they did and it readied them for the freedom they were gonna walk into, but it should not have taken 40 years. Got too much life to live. Got too much of a calling and purpose on your life. And I, I've been praying all week. I'm like, God, you gotta help us supernaturally just to sort of shake free from this hurt because it's holding us. And I, it hit me. I realized, no, no, no. Hurt's not holding any of us. We're holding hurt. And it's no longer a matter of shaking free. It's a matter of shaking hands and setting it down. Turning the page and going, this chapter I have read too many times. And it's time for the next one. See, here's what I know about forgiveness. It's not excusing. It's not saying, oh, it's okay. No. It's not about trusting again always. It's not always about establishing relationships again. Forgiveness is about freedom. Not for them, for you. They say forgiving is like setting a prisoner free and then realizing you were that prisoner the whole time. It's like Jesus being nailed to the cross and blood just dripping down his body. And he prays, Father, forgive these guys. They don't know what they're doing right now. And then he dies, he suffocates slowly. He dies, they put him into the ground and on the third day he rises again and then he goes to find his disciples who are hiding in a back room and he walks into the room and he rolls up his sleeves to show them wounds? No, scars. Forgiveness is what stands between wounds and scars. See, wounds hurt if somebody touches them. A sermon like this hurts if wounds aren't scars yet. Wounds are stories about this is what happened to me. Scars are a testimony of this is what God brought me through. And this is how God turned, took something the enemy meant for straight up evil and flipped it on him and somehow used for good most powerful part of Jesus came from the place of his deepest pain. When you praise God in your pain, it releases power. When you forgive when you don't have to, it releases favor on your life. See, people can bruise your ego, life can pierce your flesh, but if you know how to forgive, nothing can touch your heart. I am convinced forgiveness is the closest thing there is to being invincible. How do you do it? How do you rise above it? By kneeling at the cross and remembering how God has forgiven you. We forgive others because he has forgiven us. We love others because he first loved us. It's my prayer for you even as we sing. And we have a prayer team in the back who would love to pray with you. But right now, if you're holding something that you need to set down, maybe supernaturally you'd get some help to actually release it. And maybe it's instantaneous or maybe today starts a, a journey where a few years go by and you decide forgiveness every day, which by the way is a decision before it turns into a feeling. And somewhere along the way you, you realize, I don't know when it happened, but I don't have wounds anymore. I have scars and I'm healed. 
maybe you just, uh, you ask God to help you to ask him to help you. There's a pastor in uh, Southern California, his name is Rick Warren, and another legend of the church. And I was watching an interview with Rick a few years ago, and he was telling the story about um, losing his oldest son to uh, suicide and the pain of that journey and his son battling with depression for years. And, and he said, of course, I got a lot of love from a lot of church people and Christians. He said, but wouldn't you know it, I got some hate from people who claim to follow Jesus. People who would DM me or email me or say face-to-face -to, -face to me or on an interview that I wasn't even in the room for and I saw later on YouTube. Well, Pastor Rick, that's what you get for not preaching about this topic boldly enough or for not raising your kids in the way of the Lord well enough. All lies straight from the pit of hell. Some of you, your, your blood's boiling right now. And Rick said, uh, he said, Oh man, I wanted to rehearse it. I want to revenge it. But I now have figured out the equation that Jesus knows. Is that when people hurt you, when people wrong you, specifically at church or in the name of Jesus, you now have more of an opportunity than perhaps ever before to be like Christ. And rather than get hay back and rather than hold it and rather you turn the other cheek, and you let him worry about justice and you worry about something far greater, freedom and forgiveness. And he said, I don't get it right all the time, but every time I do choose that, favor follows. And he said, I'll, I'll choose forgiveness. And then a few days later that weekend, our church will grow by like 500 people <laughs> or I'll have more joy or peace or intimacy in my family. Favor has all kinds of flavors and forms but favor follows forgiveness every time. And I just see a generation of a church where our kids will grow up watching us forgive and they'll start to think bitterness is weird and freedom is normal. And as we proclaim these words and these lyrics, may his favor be upon you for a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. I can't help but think because of my faith in our supernatural God of multiplication, how one moment of forgiveness for you could lead to exponential freedom and favor for the generations to follow you. That's what our God does, man. So would you guys stand? So Holy Spirit, as we pray or worship or make our way to the back to find somebody on prayer team to pray with, whatever it is, help those of us who need to remember reality to remember it right now, that the church is not you. It's imperfect people trying our best to follow you. Help us to rise to an occasion to be what we want to see in the church. And maybe most of all, help us to shake hands and set down 
the bitterness that has been keeping us warm, but has also been slowly poisoning our souls. Because your plans are way better. May your favor be upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.